Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Managing Editor James Kleiman to talk about HomePoint and what went wrong in their cost structure and operations that led to their demise. Hi, I'm McKenna Clay, Events and Program Specialist here at HW Media, and I wanted to invite you to our upcoming event this summer. A theme we've heard from housing leaders this year is the importance of relationships to not only survive, but be strategic in 2023. And that's why we decided to invite the top C-suite executives and leaders in mortgage to join us at Gathering of Eagles in Austin, Texas from June 18th until 21st. Now, Gathering of Eagles has historically been exclusive to the nation's most elite brokerage, association and team leaders, and C-suite leaders. But for the first time this year, we're opening up the audience to include execs from mortgage, title, and insurance so that you can connect and build vital partnerships for your business. If you want to learn more, visit the events page on realtrends.com and you can get registered today to come hang out with us in Austin. James, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, good to be back, Sarah. Great to have you back. You know, I always like to ask you about what's going on with uh, lenders, especially our the big lenders in our space. And we have quite a bit to talk about this time because your reporters have been talking to executives at Rocket, at UWM, former employees at HomePoint. So, uh, so we have a lot to talk about, but I wanted to kind of kick it off with one of the most recent stories, which is how much IMBs are making or not making in this market. Yeah, they're not. They're not making. <laughs> uh, so we we just got the numbers out from the Mortgage Bankers Association. And you may remember that in the fourth quarter, the average independent mortgage bank lost about $2,800 per loan. And that was easily the worst ever showing they lost. I think the net uh, adjusted loss was 99 basis points. Uh, again, a record, not a good record. So the good news is, the losses narrowed pretty significantly. They narrowed by about 35% in the first quarter. So the average independent mortgage bank only lost about $1,970-ish in the first quarter. So that's not great. But again, that's 35% better than the fourth quarter. And I think it does speak to this idea that we've talked about that a lot of people in the industry have talked about, which is we've already reached the bottom. Things are slowly but surely improving and they couldn't get much worse. And so, <laughs> you know, um, that there are silver linings. However, you know, revenue was up. Uh, the MBA is projecting a much more bountiful second quarter than the first quarter. Um, and And the revenue that companies were making, from servicing was down a tick from the prior quarter. So it does suggest that there, there's, you know, hope in terms of the origination market improving. That said, no one would argue that the average independent mortgage bank is out of the woods. We're still looking at a nearly $2,000 per loan loss in the first quarter. And only, I think it was 33% of those companies were profitable 
in the first quarter, which was better than the prior quarter when only 25% of IMBs were profitable. But there just aren't a lot of businesses that can sustain losses for that long. And now we're looking at more than just two quarters. They they haven't been profitable really since kind of mid-2022. And, and these are not businesses that are built in most cases to retain profits, right? The, the whole businesses. You get your warehouse lines, you get the customer, you get the loan, you get them off your books in a month or two, and then you find the next customer. Well, when you can't find the next customer and your costs are much higher for a myriad of reasons, uh, it's it's really hard to do that in the long run unless you have pretty strong capital reserves or you have access to other capital or you are absolutely ruthless operators and you're able to to just, you know, cut your way to, if not profitability, at least a break-even. And and that's pretty clearly a struggle. And I think we're still going to see big losses in the second quarter when those numbers eventually come out, you know, later in the summer as well. So the question is, why why haven't we seen more M&A activity? I, I think we're probably probably approaching that period, but uh, it's it's still been a little bit slow out there. But we have certainly seen some companies go under. So that's not going to be uh, a trend that, that that's going to end anytime soon either. No, and that really brings me to the next story uh, that I wanted to talk about, which was Flavia Ferlan Nunez's really deep dive into HomePoint. And, and you know, the headline is the HomePoint postmortem, how one of America's largest mortgage lenders went bust. And it's an excellent, really deep dive. I She talked to a ton of people. Um, she talked to a lot of people who had formerly worked for the company and then also, you know, other people, analysts, things like that. So, you know, let's, let's do the postmortem here. What, what is from your perspective, what's the headline on what made it that HomePoint just couldn't keep going? Yeah, I think there are a lot of people in the industry that might reflexively look at HomePoint failing for lack of a better term and, and, looking at UWM and its aggressive pricing strategy as being the reason that HomePoint was not able to survive in the wholesale channel. And they'll look at Loan Depot, which decided it no longer wanted to uh, operate in the wholesale channel. They'll look at FOA, which also left the wholesale forward operating channel. And they'll say, okay, so hold on, we have now three of the 10 biggest lenders in this channel are no longer there. And we have one of, you know, the now the biggest mortgage originator in America that has more than 50% market share. Well, it just meant that HomePoint wasn't able to compete with that company. And, and to an extent that is true. The way I see it, the way a lot of the analysts and, and former employees at HomePoint see it is, UWM's aggressive pricing strategy absolutely harmed HomePoint's ability to be the number one uh, pro, uh, mortgage lender for a sizable portion of mortgage brokers. Uh, they had already tried the the correspondent model. It didn't work for them. They gave it up. They went all in on wholesale. And at the end of the day, they weren't able to convince enough customers, mortgage brokers, that they should be sending HomePoint their loans. Uh, and so, yes, part of that is UWM is a much more efficient operation, and they were never able to achieve such operational efficiencies. They also had other pretty significant flaws in just operating as a mortgage company. And, and I think it's worth remembering that 
these companies largely do the same thing. A mortgage company, for the most part, is going to be, depending on the size, depending on the location, depending on several factors, they're probably going to be very heavy on Fannie Freddie, maybe a bit of FHA, um, maybe a little bit of non-QM just to you know get a couple brokers who are looking to do maybe like construction or bridge loans or whatever. Like, you know, they'll, they'll have a couple more exotic products out there, but the business is mostly conventional mortgage loans to the average home buyer in America. And that means that really if you have the same product, if the rates are mostly driven by the secondary market and other factors, how do you as a mortgage originator make money? How do you stay in business? Well, it really comes down to efficiency. And HomePoint never was able to achieve efficiency to the point where they could reliably have profitable quarters, even in non-great mortgage environments like 2020 and 2021. So the wheels really started to come off in an operating sense in 2022. And that's true of a lot of companies. You know, HomePoint is by no means unique in that regard. Uh, But HomePoint also, according to the analysts, really struggled because their capital position was not very strong for a publicly traded mortgage company and and being a publicly traded mortgage company gives it offers so many advantages just in, in your ability to raise capital your ability to uh you know operate across multiple channels and work with investors and and get you know more than just warehouse lines for for your customer base it just gives you a lot more in, in terms of debt structuring uh, that isn't available in a lot of cases to public to privately held entities. But because HomePoint was heavily backed by a private equity company, when they did go public in January, they were not really benefiting from the money that was raised. The private equity company took a lot of that money and and that's, that's what they do. They take the risk of backing a company and they bring it public and then all of the all the money that they pumped in and, and all of the risk that they took is is rewarded uh, by their ability to to sell the stock and and you know leave right and and Stone Point Capital the the private equity backer they are they were still the owner or the majority shareholder of Home Point when it sold Home Point Capital the parent company sold to Mr Cooper Group for about three hundred twenty four million dollars so they were still involved they were still active but. It, it put them on a weaker standing when the market turned and they had to really be smart with their pricing and their capital market strategy had to be impeccable. Their underwriting had to be as good or better than their bigger competitors. And it wasn't. And um, so we can get into more of the details, but in the end, they didn't have enough capital. Their operating costs were too high. They needed to hit 90 basis points. Um, to to turn a profit, and you know, in, in some of the quarters they're at like twenty two. You know, they're at twelve. They're they're just so far below below the line that there's no way they could have possibly made that kind of money. And um, you know, it 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 just sort of ended. Not, I think, unsurprisingly, there were rumors that they were going to be sold. Really, the value toward the end was just their mortgage servicing rights. Um, 
And, and that's really what happened. So we, we can get into a few more details as well, because there are some really interesting, you know, operational uh, issues that I, I think should be discussed. You know, right from the beginning, um, their IPO, they, they didn't raise nearly what they thought they were going to raise when it came in at yeah. like, what, like 13, and they were thinking it was going to be more like uh, 19 or 20. Yeah, they, they ended up trading at $13. They wanted to raise... I think twice, more than twice what they ended up raising. They raised, I think, about $90 million, um, in, in the first go. And, um, you know, then they did a subsequent debt raise. Uh, but that was really the only beneficiary of that was the the private equity backers, the, the kind of preferred investors. And so HomePoint never had enough money to really go toe-to-toe with the big boys. And, and that's fine. Like, you don't have to. Not every mortgage company in America has to go toe-to-toe with Rocket or UWM. Um, but certainly didn't help in a channel that was extremely difficult uh, to win in in 2022 and, and remains really difficult to win in right now in 2023. Let's talk about the um, the IT department, maybe some of the IT struggles they had, because that was something that former employees really uh, surfaced, that they felt like that was um, one of one of the hindrances here, one of the things that led to the failure. Sure. So HomePoint, like a lot of other mortgage companies, they didn't want to build all of their tech in-house. They didn't want to maintain uh, an entire division of programmers and software developers. And so what they did is they went with a white label, semi-customized system with ICES and Compass. Again, that's a pretty normal thing. That's not weird. A lot of them just get it off the shelf. And, and that means that ICE is really responsible for making sure that the upgrades work and that your staff is trained and you know how to use the system properly. Uh, because they did a semi-customized version of Encompass, they required their own dedicated IT team and it numbered about 160 people. And that's a pretty significant workforce. And they also had a lot of problems with the software system. It would go down. There were periods in which uh, people were locked out of the system. There were periods in which there was a lot of confusion between different departments. And uh, it, it wasn't the only reason that HomePoint struggled operationally. And, and we can talk a little bit more about some of the others. But I think when you have a company that is around 4,000 people and it shrinks very rapidly because you know, the the rate environment changed drastically and in record time. And in turn, HomePoint got much smaller. You know, they started making cuts in like summer of 2021, I think, something like that. So pretty quickly after they went public, they were already making cuts and restructuring and reorganizing. They had a lot of seasoned mortgage pros and a lot of those people got wiped out in those layoffs. And when they did, uh, you know, rehire to fill in some of those gaps, they would hire people who had no experience whatsoever in mortgage. And then they also had this big dedicated tech team that was, you know, really there to just keep, uh, keep the lights on. And it just created a lot of operational inefficiencies, created a lot of confusion between different departments. And uh, it, it made the time in which a loan was originated much longer than it should have been. And you also have to remember that in some markets, the pandemic effects never really went away. There are still multiple bid situations. There are still lots of areas that have so little inventory and still enough people that have money and still want to buy a house. And so depending on where you are, you you still have to be 
really efficient. You have to cut down your, you know, time to originate to 15 days or 20 days or whatever, but it, it has to be competitive. And in some cases, because of the combination of tech issues and just a lot of experienced people leaving and a lot of people who knew <laughs> where the coffee was in, in the break room uh, just weren't there. Uh, it's it's a really unfortunate situation, but the people that I spoke to, that Flavia spoke to, most of them knew that this day was coming and they knew well before uh, we, we first reported that HomePoint would be selling its originations business to the loan store. I think that's one of the things that really struck me about this story that we know that so many companies um, in mortgage, in real estate, uh, actually, you know, lots of industries right now, but especially in, in our industry are having to deal with, you know, they don't have the budget, so they have to lay people off. But what that means is the people left have to do two people's jobs sometimes, right? Um, or, you know, maybe the brain trust left and uh, on these particular things, or maybe the experience things, one of the things that Flavia noted was that when they laid people off or when people left, really experienced people, they're not, you know, they're not going to be filled. That job's not going to be filled by somebody else who comes in with that sort of experience because that person already knows like, okay, there's layoffs. I mean, you're not attracting, it's hard to attract the best talent when you're having massive layoffs. It's also, if you're in a budget crunch, you're, you're going to go now to somebody who has less experience. And so cumulatively, when you look at how many people they had to lay off over the, over that, you know, since 2021, it has an effect on uh, the entire operation. Yeah. And, and I think for the people that remain, it's, it's also, you remember when the good times were, were rolling. And so Flavio spoke with a processor who had been there at the beginning. I think she was hired in summer 2020 and she had never made the kind of money that she had made at home point. She was, you know, with the bonuses, she was making about 117,000 a year as a processor, which is really quite good, really, really solid money. And she survived a couple layoffs and morale started to turn. You, you miss your coworkers, right? When, when they're, they're good and they're competent, they make your life easier, your job easier. Uh, it's, it's hard. It, it becomes a bit of a vicious cycle and they stopped doing bonuses. They, they would set an extremely high bar for bonuses uh, to be rewarded. And then, you know, they, they couldn't work overtime. And then after that, they started to limit the number of files that the processors were able to work on. And so they, they just ended up gradually being unable to execute the strategy that the executives had set out. And again, because they had this very high cost basis, because they had to reach 90 basis points, it's really a question of math when you look at what the Federal Reserve's policies did to the mortgage market as a whole, who out there in wholesale is hitting 90 basis points anywhere? It, it doesn't happen. It just does not happen. And so this was inevitable, um, but it is sad. We, we Flavia and I both spoke to a number of people who worked there at the beginning and survived the number of layoffs. And, and many of them talked about how great it was as a place to work. And mortgage companies in general have a reputation for chewing you up and spitting you out and there are full of hard charging type A people and not always the easiest places to work. And it's not an easy industry. And the fact that so many people spoke about how great an experience they had in the early years at home point, really until the summer of 2021, fall of 2021, when things started to change and, and um, you know, the, the company strategy took, 
took kind of a different approach. Um, they loved it. They really loved it. Having said all of this, I do think that there is an opportunity for the people who are leaving to go to the loan store to learn from the mistakes that HomePoint or, and they won't be saddled with the high cost that HomePoint ultimately was probably never going to be able to shake unless they radically changed the model, unless they ended up going private themselves. And, uh, and that was not going to happen, of course, with private equity backers in that position. So there are opportunities. And if you look at the wholesale channel landscape right now, there is a pretty big opening, I think, for a wholesale only lender that has good pricing, that has good tech, that doesn't require a staff of 160 people to fix whatever breaks that day. It's And so I, I don't think that the folks at the loan store are going to make the same tech mistake. They're not going to have the same high cost basis. They're going to have hopefully motivated staffers who don't have... Uh, you know, I, I think this feeling of, oh God, the inevitable is going to happen, right? I, I think this is a very different moment for them and, and hopefully it's one of opportunity and excitement. And I think it's good for the mortgage space in general to have another really strong lender who's only looking to work with wholesale brokers, and, and they're going to do some some correspondent as well, of course. But um, I think it's pretty interesting. And and um, we're going to be following them. We're, we have a couple interviews lined up with with the executive team at uh, the loan store coming in, in the next month or two. And um, still, it's it's sad that Home Point ended up um, not being able to to make it to the finish line. And uh, you know, we'll we'll see if anybody emerges beyond the loan store. Uh, I, I know that you know Caliber hasn't Caliber Nuez has an opportunity there if they really want to get bigger. I think Penny Mac probably has an opportunity if they want to. Of course, they're easily the biggest in in correspondent, and it's a little bit different. But but they've been pushing some broker tools and technology, and and really uh, trying to hammer some of those initiatives home. So there there are some lenders out there who who could make uh, a, a little bit of an appearance in in you know the the IMF top fives, but uh, I, I think UWM is really broken away from the pack here. And even if they don't maintain a fifty four percent market share in wholesale, they're probably going to remain very high in the forties fifties for the foreseeable future. I, I don't see anything changing there unless they end up really changing their pricing you know their, their pricing is still pretty good I, it's not the best in town anymore uh but it's still pretty good and and i think they, they definitely have a lot of uh diehard fans who are sometimes criticized as as being effectively like retail arms of uwm because they're sending 90 plus percent of their pipeline to one lender and and then the question is are you a broker if all you do is business with one company? But still, UWM is dominant. They're going to remain very dominant for the next couple of years, I think, at least. I, I really um, appreciate the way that uh, Flavia went into the detail there because, like you said, it's easy just to go, oh, well, it was all about the pricing. It was all about the fact that you know UWM squeezed them. And yet, like you said, I mean, if, if you're a mortgage lender and 
um, you're having a hard time in 2021, that's a big red flag, right? 2021 should have been a time when you could have, you know, made sure that you were making money. 2022, we all understand how that goes. Yeah, but but it's relative as well, even in 2022. When you look at the last quarter, I believe the gain on sale margin for HomePoint was something like 12 basis points and UWMs was 92. Now, in the last two, three quarters, we heard from a lot of brokers that said, we stopped sending any loans to HomePoint because operationally it was it was so difficult and, and you know, one day my account executive's there, the next day he's not, and and then there's someone new, and then you know they had they had so many problems with underwriting at HomePoint that they needed to build an in-house audit function so that you'd basically have two underwriters looking over every file because Fannie and Freddie were starting to get very very frustrated with some of the underwriting issues, and and you know we know that there are larger repurchase issues in the IMB space, but HomePoint was definitely one of those on, on a very informal, like guys (laughs) get it together list. Well, and it's just such a snowball. So once, you know, uh, you know, once you have people who are, I I can't trust the underwriting or the, or the time to turn it around or the customer service, then, you know, it just, it just snowballs into more of a problem for the lender. Yep. Absolutely. Well, interesting. Um, I love that the newsroom is looking at um, all of the, you know, they spend a lot of time looking at the strategy that different lenders are are operating under and and what they're doing. You know, we've had deep dives with UWM. Uh, we also have one with Rocket, which I would love to dive into next week since we're almost out of time here. But I think it's really important right now to, to kind of step back and go, okay, we can see what's working, what's not. And and if you're reading our coverage, you can maybe see that a little bit ahead of time, right? Because we are definitely, you know, we're, we're trying to get to the bottom of like, what are people's cost structures? Um, obviously, it's it's much easier when they're um, public companies. We can we can do those kind of deep dives. But even so- much. Please go public. Everybody, please go public. <laughs> we, we get so much Make more information easier. that way. Um, yeah. But also just stepping back and going, you know, what is it, what does it look like um, from the top down and, and really- Really, um, look at what what is their strategy in this sort of market, and you know we said from the beginning there's going to be winners and losers in this market, and sure enough, you know, so like you, I hate to see any company go out. So hope those good folks can uh, you know have gotten you know jobs through the loan store. I know there were other people that she talked to that um, hadn't found jobs yet. Yeah, and there are a lot of processors and sort of the back office staffers not just at home point, but look at the landscape over the last year and a half since the Fed started hiking rates as aggressively as they had. There are so many underwriters, processors, loan coordinators, et cetera, that are out of work, that have had hundreds of <laughs> you know applications submitted and, and the robots either deem deem you worthy of uh you know, speaking to a real human or not. And there's just no chance that a lot of those jobs come back until volume really ticks up pretty measurably. And as we talk right now, Sarah, we're looking at mortgage rates at around six, eight. They're climbing towards seven. And maybe that's because the MBS market is such a mess right now. Maybe that's because of fear over the debt ceiling deadline being, uh, <laughs> something that they won't be able to to reach. Maybe it's, you know, over kind of more bread and butter fed matters. Maybe it's all of it, right? And, and just the market is like, 
yeah, we're, we're not, <laughs> we're not going to be buying any mortgages right now. We're going to be, we're going to be waiting a little bit until we, we, um, you know, see movement one way or another from the Fed or from the government. So that's, that's where we are. So I, I think even though we, we talked earlier in the program about being at the bottom, the bottom would be if we miss the debt ceiling deadline and the U.S. government defaults. I know a lot of people don't put much stock in Zillow projections. Zillow have mortgage rates hitting like eight point something if we end up missing the deadline. I think that's very, very possible. I also don't think that we're going to miss the deadline. I think it's too risky politically for all parties involved, and we haven't yet, even though crazy people have been in office for a long time now at this point, and yet, you know, somehow good sense still prevails. So I'm I'm still optimistic that they'll be able to reach a deal and it won't be uh, disastrous for the economy at large and also the mortgage industry, but it's um, it's still going to be a very difficult Q2. I also think that, you know, it, this is to, to your point. I mean, the Fed knew, I mean, housing went into a recession last June and it was very predictable and, and the Fed wanted it, right? I mean, the Fed wanted housing to a housing reset. And what that meant to them was we were, this section was going to take a ton of pain. And I, I just hope they're paying attention. This section has taken a ton of pain. How much more can it take and still survive? I mean, you know, so I I would say that, you know, uh, it, it's frustrating because who do you get mad at? I mean, the Fed is not somebody you can vote for. The Fed is not, you know, I mean, go yell into the wind. But, you know, basically it's like I at least hope they understand the pain that this sector has taken for the whole country. Um, even last year when things were still pretty good in some other sectors, I mean, we saw we saw a huge um, almost overnight switch in our in our industry because of that, you know, very aggressive rate hiking. And the Fed is exacerbated. I think a lot of the fundamental truths and problems in the American housing market at both extremes. So dropping rates to zero and creating this mad rush and, and resetting the board entirely with the housing market. I don't think it was a good policy. I, I understand the reasons for it. I understand that we largely survived COVID economically and, and by a lot of measures, the economy is still doing well. And a lot of people would point to the Fed's actions as as being largely responsible for that happening. But it completely re-engineered the housing market in America. And the other extreme of hiking rates, it's not even the, the hikes themselves that are the problem. It's the speed of which they raise the hikes and that these businesses just cannot cannot cope with such rapid movements, positive or negative, and the average family in a lot of cases can't either, right? And so now you have people who are, they missed that that 18-month window or whatever it was, 24-month window, and they're just screwed. <laughs> they're just totally screwed depending on the market you're in. So they've created a lot of extreme circumstances on both sides. And so some of the fundamental problems never even went away because they're not something the Fed has anything to do with. The biggest problem in America right now remains we have a massive shortage of housing and we have a lot of people, current homeowners who are disincentivized to sell. And we have a lot of existing homeowners who actively fight the construction of new housing anywhere in America. And we need smart policies. We need to figure out a way to incentivize people to sell. Maybe, maybe you wipe out capital gains for people who are, you know, of a certain age or in a certain tax bracket or whatever, but, but something has to be done. This, this is not a healthy market for anyone, literally anyone, unless 
you already got your mortgage, you already got your dream home, you don't plan on having any other major life event or requiring, you know, a move up or a move down or whatever. You're not moving to a new city. This is your forever home, and um, and and you're good. You won. You absolutely won. You can, you know, <laughs> be a what is the cartoon duck that jumps in the pile of money? Oh, a Scrooge McDuck. Scrooge. You can, you can be Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> Uh, and, and, you know, the, the gods have smiled upon you for everyone else. It's disastrous. Yeah, I, I feel that. Well, James, thanks so much for being on. Appreciate it. And we will talk again next week. Thanks so much, Sarah. We have a Slack channel at HW that publishes all the new registered users for our HW events, like the Gathering of Eagles coming up in June and Housing Wire Annual coming up in October. I was just scrolling through the Gathering of Eagles feed on Slack, and wow, I am blown away with the quality of the attendees. Leaders from Keller Williams, Better Homes and Gardens, EXP, Compass, Hannah Holdings, Remax and Home Services, and incredible ecosystem partners like Zillow, Austin Board of Realtors, New Western Acquisitions, UWM and Bright MLS, just to name a few. If you aren't familiar with GOE, this is our real estate brokerage event for the most elite brokers, teams, MLS execs, and state and local association of realtors leaders. June 18th through 21st in Austin, Texas at the amazing Omni Barton Creek Resort. Visit the events tab on realtrends.com or housingwire.com to register. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.